Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking and film theory. In each programme we'll focus on a particular movie and we're going to review it, talk about it and then discuss some of the ideas and themes and actors that it throws up. And as always we're going to end with our recommendations for films to watch following these films. Sometimes these are going to be thematically similar where you know they're a straight follow-on in style and content sometimes it's a personal choice based on an actor we liked in it and he's also in another film we like so they could be wildly different in tone and texture from the film we're talking about they do share some sort of common link and you've been if you have been listening you've been listening to us for well over a year now because we've not been entirely accurate about one a week uh, so after 47 intros you should know who we are um my name's Sam Knowles. I teach about culture and literature and stuff, and not the two are different. And uh, his name's Rob Maythorn, and he is more hands-on in making it and distributing it. That's true. That's true. And Sam, this week we are talking about one of your, your choices. Yes, this week is Big Hero 6. Let me get this straight. A man in a kabuki mask attacked you with an army of miniature flying robots. Microbots? B-Max, tell them. Yes, officer. Ah! Microbots? Yeah, he was controlling them telepathically with a neurocranial transmitter. Come on! I am not fast. No kidding! Go, 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 go! Big Hero 6 is an animated superhero comedy produced by Disney. Uh, it was Disney's first superhero film in their animated series and their 54th animated film overall. It was inspired by, but very different from, um, a Marvel Comics series and uh, it tells the tale of Hero Hamada, an orphaned prodigy who... Prodigy? No, Prodigy. How trouble with that word? Um, who lives with his aunt and brother and is not really interested in academic fulfilment. He spends his time fighting robots and then tragedy strikes and Hero teams up with a number of people and uh, robots in order to fight a supervillain. Rob, your thoughts? Oh, I bloody loved it. Um, to clarify that a little bit further, I genuinely thought this was a brilliant film i think that aside from the technical animation which i think these days we all just kind of expect excellent technical animation becomes 3d films uh no one it, it stopped being surprising this level of animation a while back i think mm. but i think that the story itself is one from a complete tech nerd point of view that i really enjoyed like the, 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 there is inspiration to be found in the technical abilities of of the main characters and their ability to you know, rustle up robotics, but also I think there's a a real heart to this film in the way it talks about childhood and the effects of the f- events in the film on those characters. I think there's a real heart to it. Mm. If I was to talk about any kind of um, negative points to it, I must say I found the character of Fred quite annoying um, and yes. to me he was he was the weak link in an otherwise very good film 
I think that, and I'm sure at some point we will, we will stray into spoiler territory, but later on some of the twists that the film brings to you, I kind of saw coming a mile off. Mm. I don't think that they were as well hidden as they thought they were. But then at the same time, we do have to remember this is, at its core, a kid's film about children, four children. Mm. And we are two blokes in our 30s watching it. And they didn't say we can't enjoy it, but we are we are the secondary audience to the the child market that's aimed at. Yes, although actually, after that intro in which I talked about it being a Marvel Comics series, it's kind of as much as it is aimed at children. It is tapping into this um, this, I suppose, movement towards. Um, huge popularity for superheroes that kind of a superhero film is no longer aimed at a specific target market it's it's aimed at everyone there is a universal appeal to it um so i would say that yeah you're right we're obviously not the the primary target market but this is this does come from a, a stable of films which have a, a more general appeal than you might have thought oh I, I agree i think that those that these these kind of filmy days, even from the very first Toy Story, have a foot in either camp, and it might be a larger foot and heavier foot certainly in the children's camp. But there isn't to say there isn't things in here for a adult audience. Hmm. Um, and initially, it was aimed at the parents of the kids, but now I think that <clears throat> a film like this can bring broad spectrum appeal. Certainly, hmm. yeah. Um, I I agree with you. I I love this film. Um. And I think that it was, it was, it was, like you said, to to some extent, to do with the visual aspects of it and the visual impressiveness of it. But it was also there was a, a genuine family warmth to it. There was there was real emotion to this film. And you talk about it having a heart, and it, it, it this this film really does care about the people involved, and it was I, it was lovely to see. Yes. I can only agree. Hmm. One thing I did want to talk about, and we'll dive into a theme straight off, is the idea of loss that this film presents you with. Um, and it's something that this film did particularly well. And you, you say it's it's aimed at, aimed to explore a, a childhood condition, whether it's aimed at children or aimed at adults. It's, it's definitely tapping into that idea, but... It's also aimed at explaining loss in human terms that can appeal to the child as well, and that was I thought that was in in the the opening narrative, and we will as I said we'll we'll, we'll move into spoilers now but um the narrative of loss around hero losing his brother Tadashi, and then the narrative of loss. With the professor and his daughter, there are there are sort of parallel narratives there, and I thought that was that was really well done. The the scenes scenes that sort of stood out to me were the scenes when we've just lost the older brother, so you've got a hero just kind of um, just dealing with that, the loss of that, and it's a very realistic sort of black dog day that he's going through. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's a real sense of depression, which for a, a kid's film about a child of that age is 
is a brave, not a brave step, but an unusual step. Mm. We, we films for children about children often glaze over the darker aspects of childhood, the darker aspects of realization that other people matter, and and that kind of maturing of the soul that goes on through childhood tends to gloss over it. They are they're either kind of you know we're being attacked and defend ourselves, or their boys' own adventures, you know, kind of against going out exploring the world. It's rare to see this kind of adult theme of de- of, of depression and solitude portrayed so well, but also not for laughs, but it's kept fun at the same time as being realistic. Hmm. Yeah. I think we can be as a society we've been quite dismissive of mental illness in general and it was something we talked about when we were talking about Girl Interrupted a while ago but depression falls into that category and it is it's too easy to I'm not quite sure, sure what I'm saying here but it, it, it can be too easy to to gloss over something as Oh well, yeah. Obviously, he's he's traumatized by this experience, but let's move on with it. And this yes. film, this film actually does say, well, hold on, he would be affected, and you need to see how he would be affected if you are to see a real film. I think a lesser film might have skipped quickly to him finding um, Baymax, mm. um, and you start with that. And I think that there, he very much the film kind of and he takes a moment and pauses on the. On the uh, sort of moment of, of him in his in his moment of depression and his sort of the, it takes a, I'm a moment here, but it takes time to let the audience sit there and experience mm. that, albeit vicariously. But it takes that moment to explore, and I do think that an interesting sort of narrative that it takes from that point is highlighted very clearly in these kind of the memory chips of Baymax. Mm. And that yeah. becomes this, this kind of this kind of avatar this, 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 for for how to deal with loss and grief, and we do move into this territory of revenge or rebuild, mm. um, and that those become the sort of the competing narratives that the that the, the hero is being pulled or pushed towards, um, and we have the uh, the professor as almost a counterpoint to that and he he's wholeheartedly clearly embraced the revenge option mm. um he he hasn't got any any there's no rebuilding there's no healing in his reaction to his loss of his daughter we just have his his anger and his revenge whereas baymax through these two chips and the interplay between them and the scenes in which Hero pulls out the healing chip and is put back in by Honey Bee, um, Honey Lemon, even, and that kind of embracing in the long end of the film of of the green chip, shall we say, the, the, the yeah. healing chip. That is both a, a very rough metaphor for real world loss, for the emotional processes of, of loss. Hmm. Yeah. That. The thing with the um, the memory chips is really interesting. It was something that I I'd made a note about. Sort of early on, there's a uh, training montage where the um, 
and you've had montages throughout cinema history but there's this rocky type montage um and the emphasis seems to be on revenge like you say this is sort of this is red chip um development mm. um and then you have all well, because because it's a kids film it, you have that sort of undercut by uh they find gummy bears that's the the climax of this montage but but actually what what you get right at the end of this montage is um a switch to um him hero triumphantly putting the red red chip into Baymax and he suddenly sees the green chip and there's a sudden reminder in this sort of this build up to the this sort of triumphant fairly early on narrative of revenge you have a reminder for him and a reminder for the viewer that actually there's something else going on here I, I think I think you're right I think that that kind of theme that runs through this of his friends trying to support him and trying to lead him towards not happier times but certainly a more progressive and a more healthy direction for his grief it's something that comes back up and again th- throughout the film um, I think that just to take it forward from there, I think the film whilst it does do a great job of talking about a loss I think it's worth talking about the ending of the film a little bit and whether we feel that the ending of the film kind of undercuts that loss. How um, do you mean? Well, in that you've got, you have the role, of the the character of of the presser who is dealing with the loss of his daughter. Mm. Um, but in the end of the film, that's resolved, and she's still alive, and he comes back, and so he hasn't got to do with that loss. Mm. Hero is whilst obviously his older brother does stay dead there is a sacrificial moment from Baymax that kind of is then quick very quickly sort of retconned that existence and he still ends up a superhero though a superhero who takes this invention of healing that is designed to be soft and cuddly and a warm and turns it irregardless of anything you've learned he turns it still into a fighting creature hmm. that the end the, the right end of the film does could be argued does undercut this idea of the red or green chip by clear the end he still has the red chip this well this is something that um i'm glad, glad you mentioned because this gets back to uh, the fact that this was inspired by a comic series but diverges from it massively um the original and the original comics have um well baymax is uh, is is a character in it but he is not a healing robot. No. Um, and he is part of this team called the Big Hero 6. Um, but they wreak... I don't, don't want to use the word revenge, but I suppose I'm, I'm watching a lot of superhero stuff recently, and that's, a, that's always the balance between um, something positive and something negative, and the negative is always is always revenge. Um, so he is presented in this this comic series, this original comic series, as a monster who is tamed and put forward as as a as a revenging superhero. And the thing is, in the film, because you have this narrative, this humanizing narrative of Tadashi and of Callahan, um, in the film, Baymac is made to be. <sighs> 
it is made to be something for whom revenge is never an ultimate mm-hmm. solution. So what you've got there is the the cognitive dissonance between the two narratives, between this idea of an avenging superhero and yet uh, the 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 healing robot that went with this this narrative that the writers introduced to the film. So maybe there's something that doesn't fundamentally doesn't quite work about this film. As much as it is brilliant. As much as it is brilliant that, that there, I I suppose that is to to undercut my undercut, that is where the film could be argued the other side does succeed. Because mm. he does embrace both sides of that nature Baymax the role of Baymax as his brother investigated it, he designed it is not what Hero wants to do Hero is not his older brother and once he needs to honour his brother he needs to move on from his brother and for him to merely recreate Baymax exactly as his older brother would have done it is as much living in that past as any other mm. that by taking what his brother built and you know, kind of using it for good is something that a film espouses. If you look through it right back to the start, in the very first scene in which you see Hero and his skill, he's basically bot fighting, which appears to be San Frantokio's example of dog fighting. Basically, they're there in the streets, he's bot fighting with, with, with low lives. So he's clearly very much on that violent path from the very first scene we see him on. And the solution of the film, the, the culmination of the film, is him embracing the death of his brother and his brother's creation, but embracing it in terms of what who he is as well. And so he, the the solution of, of Baymax at the end is, you know what, I appreciate the green chip has to be there, but for me to be a hero, red one has to be there as well. Hmm. Yeah. In a way then, this, in the, the resolution of the film, is like, it's a handy inversion of the start, where you had hero being himself, and Tadashi coming in and saving the day. And at the end, you've got Hiro deciding that actually he needs to save Tadashi. He needs to take something that... Take a path that Tadashi was on and make it about himself and sort of change, change it and make, make Baymax slightly different in a way. So you've got Hiro come to the aid of, of Tadashi at the end. Mm, exactly. I think that there's that's kind of the counter narrative I think that's going on there. Um, but as I, said, I do want to stress that uh, overall, I thought it was a brilliant film, mm. and any any negative points I'm bringing up are a, are a nitpick. I do think that to to be real for a moment, being someone who's dealt with loss at an early age myself, this film does a great job of capturing that. And yeah, it, it's couched in terms of superheroes and magical robots. And just a quick aside, one of the best world buildings I've seen in a long time. I think the, the world of San Frantokyo? San, San Frantokyo, yes. San Frantokyo, which is this sort of alternate world mashing between San Francisco and Tokyo. I could live in that world happily in more films and more stories. And I think that that was a great bit of world building there. But this film handles that and the real the real humanity of dealing with loss in that res- that sudden loss hmm. is beautifully and very well done. 
that that world building is is something it's, it's like you said it's one of the the standout features of this film and it they they made a conscious decision not to make this part of the MCU because it was very definitely not it, it wasn't incorporating the same characters so they mm. didn't feel it should be in the same place within this Marvel Marvel comic universe um so they they set this set this up and actually the the story behind it that they don't tell you in the film is really interesting and the idea is that um San Francisco had a series of earthquakes beginning in the 20th century there's one really big one in 1906 I think 1906 1907 um and the alternative narrative they've got is that it was rebuilt by Japanese immigrants so that's why you have this mashup of Tokyo and San Francisco because mm. the two the parts of history diverged after the 1906 earthquake, um, and like you said, I I I wanted to know more about that, and I could quite happily have lived in that universe. It was it was brilliant. That something something else because like you, I feel I've spent too much time being negative about it, and I really did love this film. Um, something else that was really good was the degree to which it was self-aware. Um, and it's something that you get in... Well, we, we've had it recently in Deadpool, for example, in the cinema. But that was at the upper end of a 15 in terms of violence. It was... An, an yes. Obviously so. It meant it set itself out to be like that. Uh, I thought Big Hero 6 was a brilliant example of how um, movies for children can be just as self-aware as more violent films with more sexual themes, for example. And being self-aware is not an adult-only thing, if you see what I mean. I do. I, I, think, I think that that is the strength of what I call... Kids and say kids animated films that that genre there is that the good ones don't treat their audience like kids. Mm. Obviously, yeah. it does because they're all kids, but it doesn't treat them as as stupid or unintelligent. It just treats them as younger versions of adult, basically. You know, I think, mm. I think there's a it isn't one of my recommendations, um, but How to Train Your Dragon does a very similar thing. It's about children, about loss, and it handles it in a very grown up and serious way. So, Sam, yes, let's talk about some recommendations. Yes, I feel actually, as you've brought up yours, we should go with yours first. Okay, so my first recommendation, I'm, I've got two, as I, as I mentioned in the opening, some are themic, some are just a, a linked movie we like. Mm. So my first themic one is the 2012 film Wreck-It Ralph. This is the tale of a apparently less known and forgotten video game character called Wreck-It Ralph. He is the antagonist in a game um, where he destroys a house. Um, and it portrays a world in which everyone in every video game, they're just people doing their jobs. They either live in their world, or but the good guys and bad guys are often the sort of, same sort of people. They are all people, basically. And Wreck-It Ralph becomes, having been the anti-hero or the antagonist in his own game finds a moment to become the hero in his own life, basically. The film is notable for including 
characters from video game history. So Pac-Man, Sonic, Street Fighter, everyone Mario's in there. All the real world video game characters are there. But it also deals with these deep issues of PTSD. It deals with the issues of loneliness, of of wanting to be the good guy when you're not the good guy, and all that kind of thing. So the film, much like Big Hero 6, deals with these lit, huge, what we normally consider adult issues, but in a in, in the framework of a kid's film. I just know it's really good. My second recommendation is in no way, no way, themically similar, and I would in no way suggest it as a double bill. But in Big Hero 6, Alan Tudyk, plays the the voice of Alastair Cree, the uh, industrialist. And back in 2005, he starred in the sci-fi adventure film Serenity. Those of you who don't know, and why wouldn't you know, Serenity is the big screen outing of the much maligned and cancelled show Firefly from Joss Whedon. It is the film I have seen more times than any other film in the entire day of my life. It is... Really? Like... Yeah. Em- Empire Records? Yes, I have seen Serenity more times. By I have seen Serenity close to 100 times and I'm considering watching it tonight. It is as close to a perfect science fiction film as I've known. I think that the actors own all their roles and I just cannot sing praises of it highly enough. Whilst obviously it's building on the TV series of Firefly, you haven't got to have watched Firefly to what to understand it. Um, it will help, but you can go in fresh to the movie and it'll enjoy it. My wife certainly did. So yeah, Fire yeah. Serenity is 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 a hard recommendation. Sam. Yes, um, my first one has appeared on this podcast before, but I think it's worth talking about it again. Um. And I would go for Inside Out as not only uh, a, a brilliant animated film, but also one that has an. It, it deals with loss. It's a different sort of loss. It's sort of change rather than actual loss, but it has um, a really genuine attitude to human emotions. And it's one of those films, like you said, a, a really great kids' film is mm. not treating kids as kids. So that would be my first one. Um, my second one is Despicable Me, which I, because 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 of Minions and the fact that it was such a phenomenon, I probably looked down my nose at it and thought thought I'd have nothing to do with it until I saw it quite recently, and it is a lovely film. Despicable Me, and Despicable Me Two is, well, it's it's, it falls into the huge category of sequels that try to do the same as the first and fail. Um, mm. But the first film is a really, really solid film, um, and it has these same qualities of dealing dealing with human emotions. The the three. Not protagonists, but certainly big actors in it are three very young orphaned girls, and it's how they deal with the loneliness of being being left in an orphanage. Um, 
as well as how the the actual protagonist, who is I suppose more of an antagonist because he starts off as a supervillain, um, how he deals with the loneliness of his position, and it's it's a genuinely lovely film. Um, the the way it's filmed at the beginning, um, the way the cars moved. I was thinking about the way that cars moved in Big Hero Six. I don't know enough about it, but it seemed to be filmed in the same way. But that will be my second recommendation for this week. I must say, I have never actually seen it. I think, I, like yourself, having been bombarded with minions over the last couple of years, mm. on and on and on and on and on, I've never quite look beyond that i suppose no um and so uh, having caught bits of it over time i've never actually watched the entire film but i will try and take up your recommendation and go and see it don't don't see the sequel because it's, it's horrible and fair enough i suspect that the minions films are just well I, I don't happen to find the minions themselves very funny so i'm not sure how taking one unfunny bit of a film and making a whole film about it is going to be successful but the fir- the first one is, is very good. Fair enough, fair enough. I, 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 will, I will try and turn it out. Brilliant. Next week, Rob, it is your choice. It is, it is my choice. And from the sublime to the ridiculous, I'm taking <laughs> us to a very different film. I'm going to recommend the 2012 film John Dies at the End from director Don Coscarelli, I believe it's pronounced, um, and writer David Wong. It is a bizarre science fiction stoner comedy horror film. Yeah. I think I, that's probably all, all I'm going to say. I know nothing about this film other than the fact I like David Wong, so it it may be written well. <laughs> well, we shall see what you think next week. <laughs> All right, guys, if you want to check us out online, we are at Prestige Podcast on Twitter. Or you can find just me at Life underscore Academic. Or you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. Come tell us your thoughts on our films and come tell us other films you think we should talk about. And I look forward to speaking to you about John Dies at the End next week. See you then. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.